Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Dina Jabor, and I am a part of the Chantilly Community Group, and I'm one of the women shepherds. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ to Church. I have a privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning, uh, Reverend John Baber. Before we bring him up, just want to let you know that although he is an Alabama grad, we welcome him to this pulpit. I know some of you out there might have hard feelings now, but this is the pulpit of the Lord, so we're glad that he could join us this morning. Pastor Brown, he's here. Um, he talked about it actually when he spoke when you were on sabbatical about Alabama grads being allowed to speak at this pulpit. Um, when I think of Reverend John Baver, I think of the, if you're a sports fan, I think of the word, the process. And you're like, what do you mean, the process? I think of the word process because Reverend John Baver is RUF minister, Reform University Fellowship, uh, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And many of us know that well because of our very own Reverend Omari Hill started that ministry there. And we say the process because many of us also could testify of how campus ministers, campus ministry has impacted our lives in various ways. And we believe what Reverend John is doing is that process of what God is doing in the lives of many students that come to him from all over the world. So we think about him often, not only our church, but our presbytery, our connected churches, as we continue to support his work at RUF, inshallah. You can find out more about his background. We met his wife uh, and their newborn, Jackie, recently, uh, but we're glad to have him come and share the word of God with us. So without further ado, Reverend John Baver. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. Um, 
and for you caring for the ministry over there at UNC Charlotte. It helps that Amari was there. Um, so whenever you, uh, as, as you know, I'm not the, one of the pastors here. So whenever you get asked to preach at a church where you're not the pastor at, one of the first questions you have is, am I going to be doing the next section in your sermon series, or do I get to choose my own passage? There's a lot writing on this question. Uh, if you're doing the next one in the sermon series, uh, it can be helpful because you can kind of look at last week's sermon, figure out where the direction of the series is going. They might have a passage choose for you already. Um, or they say you get to choose whatever you want. Um, in that situation, all bets are off. That's what happened this week. So who knows what I'm about to say. Um, if you get to uh, choose your own passage, you can kind of go two ways. You can take an old sermon and not tell anyone, but kind of like dust it off and fix it up and throw it back out there, see what happens. Uh, or you can do what I'm doing this week and choose something that's maybe come up a lot for you recently uh, in conversations uh, on your heart and your mind. And so that's what led me to our text today, Romans 14. In this passage, uh, it was on my mind because of particularly a conversation I had with one of our students in RUF at UNC Charlotte recently. So there's this religious, like, church Christian group on campus at UNC Charlotte, and they're actually on a number of campuses across the country. Uh, they have some pretty, like, out there uh, crazy beliefs, and they'll often try to recruit students to their group in passing. Uh, and they'll ultimately, they target, like, specific students. There's some people who used to be in this church or in this group that have left that said that they specifically targeted people on a college campus who appeared psychologically vulnerable. They would try to recruit people who were walking alone or maybe like looked lonely or down. And so they would see people, or they do see people, like this, and they say, uh, hey, they might join our group because they don't really, they might not have friends, they might be sad, maybe we can bring them into our thing. And I said they're a little out there. They, uh, they've never said this to me. I've figured this out from Googling and Wikipedia, so it's probably true. Um, but they strongly encourage people in their group and in their church to only marry within their specific church. Uh, they've had multiple, like the world is ending in 2012 things that have failed, um, as you can see. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is this group is basically a cult. They kind of made up their own belief system. They target people who are vulnerable. And once you're in, they don't want you mixing with people outside of their group. And so how do they get people? They have these like provocative things they'll kind of throw out to people in passing on campus to try to get a conversation going. Um, and so they told one of our students, this was actually a few weeks ago, uh, he was walking by on campus by himself, and they said, hey, did you know the modern Christian church is actually wrong in a false church because they do church on Sunday instead of Saturday. Um, so they said the only true church, which of course is their church, uh, has their Sabbath on Saturday, has church on Saturday, therefore any other church is a false church. So I use this line of one of our students who ended up stopping and talking to him for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and I actually interned with RUF at the University of Oklahoma, and the same group was there, and they would do some more things there. We had situations with our students there too. And so this student, this particular student, who talked to them a few weeks ago, 
uh, reached out to me after talking to them and was like, hey, just want you to know this interaction happened. Like, my face not shaken or anything, um, but these two guys told me that our church is wrong because they meet on Sunday. And I'm like, I know they're wrong, but also, like, can you show me how they're wrong? Because I don't know exactly how to prove that. Um, so we got to meet up and talk about it. And if you're wondering, I'm not, like, preaching on that necessarily, but if you're wondering, it's because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, which was on the first day of the week. And there's multiple passages in Scripture that talk about that. Um, but with our student, so I went through kind of the places in the Bible that talk about celebrating the resurrection on the first day of the week and resting in the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And I also took him to our passage today. In verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So I told our student, look, at the end of the day, if you show them these passages and about the resurrection and they're not convinced, which they probably won't be, but you can at least take them to this passage and be like, hey, even if you disagree with me, at least Romans 14 says like, you need to chill out a little bit, maybe take it down a notch. And would that have worked? Probably not. Uh, why? Because they, this group, and also because we, all of us, we love arguing and we love drama and we love being right. We can't turn down a reason to disagree with someone and tell them why they're wrong. And we can't even turn down a chance to like, watch arguments and drama, even if we're not involved. Because we also have, at UNC Charlotte, uh, those street preachers that show up every now and then, like the angry ones, who like to yell at students about their sin in passing, trying to provoke students. And without fail, almost every time, they've got a big crowd around them of students who stop like 10 minutes between classes. And a few of the students are stopping because they want to yell back or get in arguments. But what are most of the students doing? They're stopping and they like have their phone out. They're like on Instagram Live waiting on something crazy to happen, right? They just want to watch the drama unfold. I mean, the current ESPN is like the house that Stephen A and Skip Bayless built just by turning all sports discussions into just arguments, right? Picking a side, even if you don't really agree with it, but just a reason to yell at someone and their ratings went through the roof. The show called First Take years ago. People ate it up. We see in our political, political discussion, right, whole newsrooms that can be built um, just on the idea of getting every perspective possible on something. Even if the people in charge know that some of the opinions are just straight up wrong, they're going to bring people in just to argue about it because we'll watch it. Like, even if I don't care whether LeBron is better than MJ, and I have no dog in the fight, hearing two people yell at each other about it is like kind of must-see TV. Who's going to win? Like, who's going to dunk on someone? Who's going to make the point that just, ah, we love it. And tell me if you're in the grocery store and you hear, like, a couple arguing, you're not going to, like, slow the cart down, hear what they're arguing about, think, about, oh, that person's so right. And the other person, oh, I can't believe they'd say that. Why am I like this? Why are we all drawn to this? There's a lot of reasons um, that we're into that stuff, into arguments, into drama. But in short, I think that whether we're watching people argue or in an argument ourselves, we can find ourselves enjoying it, the thrill of it, because of the sense of power and control it gives us. We can feel like, oh, I'm right. I have the moral high ground. I've got control. See, if I hear other people arguing, 
I can find myself hearing the arguments and coming up in my head with like the right response, what the right view is, and how they're wrong. Or I can desire sometimes to get into an argument with someone just so I can feel better about myself. Like, oh, I know my stuff, and they're so wrong, and they just need to be put in their place, right? It makes me feel like I've done something great by being right. And I've exerted like a little bit of control in my life. This world and life that can feel so out of control, me jumping in an argument and being right about something makes me feel like I've got just a little bit. Like I can go, at least I know this one thing. Life is chaos, but at least I know LeBron is better than MJ, right? So I'm arguing today that our love of drama, for being right, our love of arguments, even watching arguments, is often rooted in our deep need that we feel to grasp at control of things in a world and a life that feels so out of control. But our passage today, Romans 14, offers us something different. See, one of the most beautiful parts of the good news of Jesus Christ is this leveling effect that takes place. See, in our current world, your success, even your life expectancy, is often more tied to your zip code than anything else. But in the world of Jesus, we're all in the same place, in that we all belong to him. He created everything, right? He owns it all. Read verses 7 and 9 with me again. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So no matter our wealth, our social status, our relationship status, our age, our skin color, even no matter what we want to be true, the reality is that everything belongs equally to King Jesus. And I'm not saying that those things have no relevance in our lives, but what I am saying is that everything is his. And it's true whether I believe it or not. In his recent book uh, titled, You Are Not Your Own, Professor Alan Noble argues that to actually think that we are our own, that we control everything, that we control our life, to think that we are our own is to be inhuman. He says it's not to be human. Like to think we run this life and everything about it is to live in a fake and made-up reality. Instead, he argues, part of being truly human is to recognize that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus. So being truly human is to recognize that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus. And so I'm thinking, in thinking about our love of drama and arguments, because how it lets us feel right about something and in control, consider what Alan Noble writes here. He says, if I own, if I am my own and belong to myself, the first and most significant implication is that I'm wholly responsible for my whole life. This is exhilarating and terrifying. It's not just that I'm responsible for my own survival, food, shelter, so on. I also need a reason to live then. I need purpose and direction. I need some way to know when I'm failing at life and when I'm succeeding, when I'm living ethically and when I'm not. If I'm my own, I must have some way of determining on my deathbed that I lived a good full life. So if we're our own, meaning we don't think we belong to Jesus, then we've got to find a reason to live, right? We've got to find purpose. And so, often, we can watch and engage in arguments and drama that makes us feel better, better, better about ourselves, makes us feel right, 
Because then at least, if nothing else in this life, I can die knowing I was right. But again, we are on our own. It's an old statement of uh, faith and theology. These things called catechisms, questions and answers that uh, teach us theology. And the first one, this Heidelberg Catechism, says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer it gives is, I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So hearing this, the idea that I'm not my own, that there is a sense of purpose and belonging outside of myself, can be a little jarring, right? And there's two general ways that people, that we, can respond to hearing this. So first is a person who hears that they're not their own, that they belong to someone else, and they get upset. I thought I was calling the shots. I thought I had autonomy. I've earned what I've got, and it's mine. There's a story in the Bible about a guy known as the rich young ruler who has this reaction. If you'll read with me, uh, Mark 10, verses 17 to 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this rich young guy comes to Jesus and says, I've done everything right. I've crushed it. I've got all this stuff. I've obeyed your commandments. What else do I have to do? And Jesus said, all right, all you got to do is get rid of all your stuff. And he couldn't do it. So this was a guy who had everything and was faced with the realization that all his stuff actually wasn't his, right? Everything belongs to Jesus. And if he accepted that fact that everything belongs to Jesus, then when Jesus asked him to give it away, he'd be like, all right, fine. If you say so, Jesus. It's yours anyways. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't accept this reality. He needed to own and keep this stuff because it was his. This can be like those of us today who maybe have stuff going for us in life, everything, if not most things. Maybe I'm happy, healthy, I've got stuff, nothing can bring me down, and I'm faced with the fact that I'm not my own. I go, nope. No, no, no. I earned this. I work for this. I'm not giving it up. I refuse to live in a world where I don't get to call my own shots. So this is one way that we can respond to Jesus, telling us we're not our own. And there's a second way, which is a breath of relief and gratefulness to Jesus. These are like people in the Bible that saw Jesus performing miracles. He was healing diseases, and they would rejoice. People on the streets in the Bible, uh, they had diseases, right? And they're begging Jesus, heal me. See, they've already accepted that their life isn't their own, right? They already know it's not their own. Instead, their life, this world, is just kind of happening to them. Everything's moving so fast. They don't know who's in control, maybe, but they know it's not them. They've already accepted that. They moved on past that part. So... They know they're not their own, but when they hear that they actually do belong to the good Savior, Jesus, 
They rejoice because it's comforting and it's good. So who are these people? People in need? People who need to eat? People who are overwhelmed by diseases? People who are outcasts? Even people who are already dead, we see in our passage? These are people that are hurting and crying out for help, and Jesus looks at them, and he has compassion on them, and he assures them that they're not their own, but he's in control. He says, I've got this, and I'm good. These are people today who have been so beaten down by the world and others that they already know they aren't their own. They felt like so much was out of control in their life, and they can't even catch up. They're behind maybe because of sickness or bills or debt, bearing all their family's problems. Or they realize there's a people or culture around them that they thought people cared for them and they realize they don't. They know that someone else has their life because things feel so out of control so often. And they recognize that their situation and their lives and even their own sins are so great that if they are on their own, then there's no hope. And the only way to find joy and to find peace is to recognize that they aren't their own but belong to another. These are God's people. These are the people that Paul's writing to in his letter to the church in Rome. People who need Jesus to be who he says he is. A Savior who laid down his life for the lives of the living and the dead. A Savior who only asks of us to have faith in him and he's going to hold us in his hands. And so this is the Savior that Paul is pointing us to in Romans 14 today. He's pointing us to a Jesus who's laid down his life for his people. And Paul is calling us even today, like Jesus, into a life of sacrifice. Because we're truly not our own, but we belong to Jesus, and that means that I can give in a way that the rich young ruler couldn't. And this is going to impact how I relate to individuals around me and how I relate to everything in the world. So, for example, it's going to impact how I interact with my family, and if we're married, our marriages. There's an article about marriage recently in the New York Times written by Reverend Esau Macaulay. And the article is about how he comes from a long line of African-American pastors in the South, in Alabama. And when he was young, he dreamed of being a part of this family tradition, being a pastor in Alabama. And so at the age of six, he declared, I'm going to be a pastor in Alabama too, just like all my family. But he never got to realize that dream. So did something go wrong? No, something didn't go wrong. He actually writes, he says, Things changed when I met the woman who had become my wife. She complicated the path to fulfilling my dreams. This isn't because of religious differences. She was a church girl. The problem was her dreams conflicted with mine. See, his wife had decided already to become a pediatrician in the Navy. And you notice that there's not a lot of churches that are going to hire you if you have to move around a lot because your wife's in the Navy. So their dreams, their jobs couldn't coexist. And so he had to make a sacrifice, right? And so what did that sacrifice that he made to not follow his dreams do to him? He says this, I have found joy. Not because this life's better than the one I imagined as a child. How could I even know? I never lived that life. It's lost to me. I have found joy because out of two seemingly conflicting visions of the future, my wife's and my own, we've built something decidedly new. We became a family. And my deepest joy came not in getting exactly what I wanted. It's in seeing my wife thrive and my children flourish. If love is truly a deep and unbreakable orientation toward another, what greater joy can there be than helping your loved ones find their way toward joy? See what I'm getting at by bringing up this article. 
is the security and the confidence that, that East Macaulay, Reverend East Macaulay had to have, right? To make that decision. The self-value, the worth to give up on his dreams was because he trusted that he wasn't his own. So it's going to be okay. Now, obviously, the love of a marriage is different than the love you're called to specifically with other people, but the point that Paul is making for us applies to how we approach every relationship in our life. Romans 14 is calling us into an entire life of sacrifice, a life of laying down our arguments and the drama and our lives for others. This doesn't mean we don't care about truth or justice and we just let everyone else win every other argument, but it does mean that we are quick to realize arguments that are about maybe secondary things, conflict that's just a war of opinions, and before it escalates to somewhere destructive or divisive, we're willing to lay down ourselves and our opinions and our lives for others. So how do we do this? We lean into and we live in the reality that we are not our own, and that's what this is all about. Realizing the comfort, the hope, the confidence that comes with a life that belongs to King Jesus and approaching every relationship in our life knowing this reality. See, there's a lot of arguments going on in our world, in our churches. Some of them are fair and good to have because someone may be arguing for something that could lead to harm or marginalization of people. So we fight for God and for people in those arguments. But man, sometimes people want to argue just to argue. Maybe you've experienced that. Oftentimes, people even want to argue about things that can just be chalked up to like virtue signaling or culture wars. No matter where your views are on a religious, political, social landscape, everybody is going to try to drag you into their arguments and their drama because they just want to argue and be fired up about something. In Romans 14, Paul is mentioning disagreements that the Roman church had about what they could or couldn't eat or which a day was to be esteemed or better than another. And it was causing real issues, real division, just so people could find something to argue about, right? And they wanted to point at others and say, no, 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 they're wrong, I'm right. And don't tell me this isn't true at Christ Central Church. <laughs> the homepage of the website says, we are sharing the love of Christ through the Bible, discipleship, diversity, and community. You want to tell me a church wants diversity and community? It wants people who are brought up on entirely different planets and look different from each other to actually try to be friends? Come on. Tell me there's no arguments or drama there. Now again, that doesn't mean we don't engage in pushing back when we see people being hurt. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about wanting to fight and argue or something just to have a different opinion than someone. If someone thinks differently than you, if you're in this, just look at Romans and remember, this has been going on forever. This isn't new. It's okay that Howard's a Clemson grad. There's grace for that. So the Bible says. He still belongs to Jesus. Now I do have to mention, I'm not referring, just to make sure, I'm not referring to anything specific. I'm not trying to like subtweet anyone. I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm just saying good luck caring for other people, especially those who look different than you and hoping there's always peace. And so at the end of the passage, what does Paul say to the folks in the church in Rome that are arguing, that are divided? Paul is pulling them aside. He's saying, look, y'all need to chill. 
You disagree on this, but you both need to realize that you and your lives belong entirely to Jesus, so you don't need all this extra drama. So read the end of the passage with me again, starting in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So Paul is telling the people, arguing in the church in Rome, and he's telling us today, he's saying, hey, Jesus is coming. This life is going to end, and you're going to stand before the Lord. And so the next time you want to start unnecessary drama or an argument or a culture war over this or that to make yourself feel like you're doing something, make yourself feel right, so you can feel a sense of purpose or control, instead, remember who you belong to. His name is Jesus, and he's got you and your life in his hands, and he's good. That's what can get you through this life. Not trying to prove yourself, looking for your worth and being right and others being wrong. Not grasping at control. Instead, today, I pray that you and I lean into the comfort that is Jesus, who's offering us something that is so much better than all of the drama we find in our lives. We rest in him. Let me pray for us. Do it. Thank you for this day, this Sunday, this church, the people here at Christ Central Church, how you're working in my life and all of their lives, um, drawing us to you. How we can trust that you have us in your hands, that we are not our own. And while that can be scary at times for any of us, we don't want to give up our control. We allow us to rest in the fact that you're in control. Well, we give up these things, these arguments, these just everything we're holding on to that's not for you. And be with us today and going forward as we continue to spend the rest of our lives learning what it means to know that we are not our own. Be with us the rest of this day. In your name I pray. Amen.